What's up, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Reasonably Outrageous. I'm your co-host, Matt Wire, alongside, as always, Blake Pace, here on Monday, November 25th, for you all Tuesday, November 26th. Monday Night Football just kicked off a few minutes ago. We had a very weird weekend of football, basketball season in full swing, baseball offseason hasn't picked up too much steam, but we have had a few moves. So, overall, the sports calendar in pretty busy mode right now Blake how you doing I'm good and yeah it's it's one of those it's one of those great times we've got college basketball coming off actually Michigan State I believe just got knocked off number three team in the country lost to Virginia Tech I know our boy uh, Kevin Haswell is probably pretty happy about that one so that's right good win for him Um, but yeah like you said we're, we're gearing up into into playoff football which is great we've got some now, now is the point in the schedule where we get those weird divisional matchups where things just get real clunky, and we've got, you know, like a couple weeks ago, the Saints losing to the to the Falcons, and then the Falcons beating the Panthers, and then the Bucks beating the Falcons. We're just at that stretch where the NFL schedule gets weird, and so it's uh, it's interesting to follow along and, and how some of these seedings uh, end up in the play uh, the postseason. Yeah, and of course we have to address the elephant in the room, or lack of episodes. Uh, <laughs> over the past few weeks, I know we said, oh, we'd get on a, a better schedule, and then things happened, and we Oops. ultimately weren't able to record all last week, and I believe we missed one the week before that, and then mm-hmm. the week before that we missed two. So it has overall been a rough month uh, for has. the Reasonably Outrageous podcast, but uh, I think things might finally be settling down. Of course, we say that as the holiday season yeah, starts, <laughs> so we will see. So at this point, I just don't think we can make any promises, but no, uh, yeah. we are going to try to get you all two episodes a week. That is the goal, uh, and we are going to work as hard as we can to make sure that happens because we like doing this thing. Right, uh, of like course. Putting it together, and of course, I need my daily dose of Blake. Exactly, and yeah, and, and I feel like the the big thing is is like, of course, we like sharing all of this stuff for you, but it's just great to have these conversations uh, throughout sports. You know, Absolutely. it's not like we have people that are paying us to do this, where it's like we're getting in <laughs> trouble by a boss to make a podcast. But yeah. you know, when we can get them out there, that's when I like to talk about it because. You know, it's just a chance to really put out some some content to have conversations about a lot of league wide topics, and so, you know, when we get them out, we get them out. So that's kind of how I've you know gotten about it. But we definitely, you know, uh, holiday season, like you said, it it could change in there as well too. But uh, once we get through that, you know, uh, we'll keep we'll keep putting them out as they come out. Yeah, and so to make up for it, we're actually going to come at you all with nine topics today. Three NFL, three NBA, three MLB. We're going to kind of go down shot clock format, five minutes uh, per each. We'll we'll try to keep it uh, a little shorter so we can get through a lot. But we've had a lot going on the past Mm -hmm. couple weeks, so we're going to have to kind of catch up on a few things here. So that's why we're going to spread it out a little bit. Uh, So let's go ahead and, and just kick things off here with the NFL. And, you know, a team that slowly getting the respect it deserves with a new quarterback at the helm and that is the Tennessee Titans Blake the mm-hmm. Titans had a big week uh this week blowing out the Jaguars 42 to 20 in a game that was kind of overshadowed by the the Cowboys and Patriots game that was going on at the same time they were the only two four o'clock games this week but 
you could argue this game was much more exciting. Derrick Henry goes absolutely off, 19 carries for 159 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, Ryan Tannehill continues to impress. The Titans are 4-1 and one since he took over at quarterback. So, Blake, starting off here, shot clock is going. What do you think uh, is the future, the ceiling of this Titans team, and are they a legit contender in the NFC or AFC? Excuse me. Yeah, so they've they've got a really good shakedown of of the uh, of the roster. Like I said, it's a very good defense. It's a decent offensive line. hasn't been playing up to its standard. But then you've got young receivers out there. You've got Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill is an upgrade over Marcus Mariota. The the most interesting thing to me about the Titans is that the first half of their their season, their strength of schedule was among some of the easiest in the league, and they went four and four. And now we're at a point where it switches in the second half to one of the most difficult schedules uh, remaining in the NFL. And we've seen them play the Panthers. They lost by 10, but then they beat the Chiefs. Of course, they go and beat the Jaguars. And then the road ahead for them, they've got the Colts, the Raiders, the Texans, the Saints, and then the Texans again. Those are all either playoff teams or teams that are a half game out of the postseason. Um, So, you know, do I believe that the... The Titans are a legit team, yes. I just unfortunately think that the crowd is a little too thick right now. I think that, you know, playing the Texans twice in the last three weeks with a game against the Saints sandwich in there too, which me and Matt and our good friend Tom will be at, which will be super fun down here in my homeland. Um, I just think that that it's going to be too tough of a road ahead for them to really make a playoff push, but they could also really derail some of these teams' hopes. I mean, if they beat the Colts this week, Colts season is done. They're not going to make the postseason. The Raiders, same way. They're going to fall out. But uh, I just think it's a little too late. Uh, they, they could have maximized, really, their first half of the schedule and weren't able to do so. So, um, unfortunately, I think it's a little too late. But uh, it's it's a good team, and they should feel excited about next year, whether it's Tannehill back or a young quarterback they take in the draft. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I just think that the AFC South is so wide open right now. Yes, the, the Titans are 6-5, and five, which puts them tied with a couple of teams for that sixth spot in the AFC. But I still think that, you know, with two games against the Texans left, they certainly could make a push for the AFC South division title. I mean, mm-hmm. we look at the NFC East right now as probably the worst division in football, but you could argue the AFC South is not too far behind it. What? Uh, I would I would say that... Every division except for the AFC South, every division except the AFC South, the NFC East has a team that I think has a legit shot at winning the Super Bowl. But but you've got one of the you got like the New England Patriots and then the Jets and the Dolphins. You've got four teams in the South. You got that- two playoff teams in there though. You've got the Bills who are two games up. Of course, my phone's ringing right now. <laughs> you have the Bills who are two games up on anybody else in the AFC. But yes, each... it's probably gonna a gap that's gonna be closed because the, the Bills have a tough stretch the rest of the season. Mm. But the, the, the AFC South has four talented teams. I'm not saying that that you know uh, they're they're clunkers of, of franchises uh. right now. But there's nobody to me that stands out to that makes this division a powerhouse in my opinion you know I, yeah. like there's there's nobody who i would say okay they could take down the patriots right now i don't think that that's necessarily a ceiling for any of these four teams yeah but i guess i guess in my comparison top to bottom it's way more competitive than the afc east or the oh, well, I'm not saying yeah. it's it's any like less competitive okay. per se. Uh, I just think that it's, if we're power ranking the divisions, I'm putting yeah. the AFC South toward the bottom because Man. they just don't really have that knockout. You know, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, I guess I see where you're going with the fact that they've only got one team in the playoff picture right now. But when you're the AFC East and you got two games against the Jets and the Dolphins, it's a pretty easy cakewalk. Likewise, if you're in the AFC North, you got games against the Steelers who can't do anything on offense. The Bengals as well in there. The Steelers too. who have the number six spot in the AFC. The Steelers are a bad team. <laughs> I'm the the Steelers are a a bad team. They are not going to make the postseason. 
hey, the Browns could make the postseason. I know. You got three teams in that AFC North who, who are conceivable the ste- Dude, the Steelers are so <laughs> bad. If you watch their games, they are miserable to watch on offense. Well, Del- Devlin Hodges is the future. Yeah, he's way know? better than Mason Rudolph. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely better than Mason Rudolph. I think that there's no question they have to go with him. But we're we're talking about the Titans here, uh, and and yeah, you, you mentioned that schedule. It's really tough down the stretch here, you know. But they've really managed, you know, to beat these good teams. They obviously upset the Chiefs, 35-32 in a game where Tannehill only had to throw 181 yards, but you know he has gone off for over 300 a couple of times. Mm-hmm. He did everything he needed to do, supported by a strong running game. Derrick Henry is really picking up steam. The last few weeks has has started to really pick up his game. I don't know if there's a receiver in that group that necessarily scares me, which is why I, I think that has to be one of the priorities going into this offseason. But, Blake, do you think Ryan Tannehill is the future now? I mean, do the Titans have to give him a deal after the season? I think he's definitely up there and deserving one. Uh, if uh, Depending on where they're picking in the first round of the draft, and they maybe don't get one of the top four or five guys that are in this class, I think you got to go forward with Ryan Tannehill because you're at a point where you've got a really good team around there. And if you're going to take a flyer on one of those later quarterbacks, it's a big risk. And if Tannehill's making this offense hum and he's pushing it down the field, I would I would at least severely consider moving it uh, moving ahead with Ryan Tannehill because he adds a pop to the offense that we saw Mariota never really took shots down the field and he played it safe and he was always hurt. There's our timer. That's, I that's think your I think they got to. I think they got to move him. <laughs> I agree. I, I think that the way he's been playing right now, unless he really struggles down the stretch, you you really have to uh, consider that at least like a two year deal because, like you said, yeah, not he's have a, the draft make him a bridge position. guy. I mean, you, I I don't know. The top three quarterbacks are kind of in their own echelon. And there's everybody else, and and you know that's kind of where the the Titans faltered before with Mariota was that they didn't get that top guy. Uh, who happened to be Jameis Winston that year? Um, but at the yeah. same time, you know they they settled and it ultimately cost them four years of mediocrity. So you mm-hmm. know that's just me. All right. So uh, speaking of another team uh, that drafted a quarterback and has been uh, living with yeah. those consequences, Carson Wentz uh, had a real clunker uh, against the Seahawks over the weekend. Not necessarily his best performance. In fact, some are calling it the worst of his career. Did have I believe two fumbles. I don't have the stats right in front of me just yet uh two fumbles and an interception on the day uh 45 passing attempts geez uh yeah two interceptions and let's see three fumbles two lost yeah really really a, a terrible performance for him he has been struggling the past few weeks and of course was given that huge extension prior to this season 128 million dollars uh, which can escalate up to 144 million uh, with a uh, certain incentives and things like that. 107.9 million guaranteed, including 66 that has already been paid to him uh, at signing. So he is a rich man, of course, and the Eagles have invested a significant part of their future in him. Blake, do you think they regret that contract? I don't think they regret it. Per se, I mean, yeah, maybe they could have cut some money if they let it wait out the full extension. I think that they probably regret it less than the Rams regret that Jared Goff extension. But uh, for for Carson Wentz in this game in particular, it was one of my Sunday ticket games that I had up there. Um, it actually, I, I just, I, I got a feel for Carson Wentz a little bit because he really doesn't have any receivers right now. And, and the biggest thing, a great match with Carson Wentz was the downfield threat. And when he had Deshaun Jackson playing healthy, they actually had a pretty intricate passing game. And so you don't see him a little bit. You, you miss the downfield passing attack. He's got to really just feed his tight ends over and over again. And, uh, 
And look, it wasn't a it wasn't a good game, but you take a look at his season, 63% completion percentage right around his average. He's thrown for 2,500 yards and 17 touchdowns to six interceptions. Now, the fumble's a little unfortunate um, there as well, too. I will say, though, I, I feel, and I, I've been riding him all season. He's been amazing. I think we're at a point now where we got to take a look, and this is kind of like when you had Andrew Luck and Russell in RG3 go one and two, Russell Wilson go in the third round. Russell Wilson, obviously the best out of those three. You got Jared Goff and Carson Wentz at one and two. And Dak Prescott, man, I know we aren't going to talk about him. He might be the best quarterback out of this draft class. He has been unbelievable this year. Had a tough game in the rain, of course, but that's against New England and their great defense. This might be a situation where, kind of like Seattle, Dallas got really lucky getting that quarterback later on and not having to waste a top overall pick on a guy that that might not have it. I, I'm I'm... I still think Wentz has all the tools, and I think he's playing in an unfortunate situation right now, but uh, hasn't hasn't looked great this year. Yeah, it, it's been a tough situation for sure. I mean, taking out his tight ends for a second, just looking at players yeah. who logged at least one catch, <laughs> J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Greg Ward Jr., Jordan Matthews, and Miles Sanders. Jordan I mean, Matthews, it, it, who was cut today. Yes, yes, uh, deservedly so, I might add. <laughs> He's been a massive disappointment for Philly. He's had a very up and down tenure for them. Uh, you know, of course, you have Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard in there, and they accounted for 19 catches uh, out of the 33 yeah. that the the Eagles had. I mean, that shows how just how much they needed uh, help in the receiving game. Their drops have been an issue for this team all season long. Certainly, you cannot put all of the blame for the sputtering offense on Carson Wentz. However, this game. You know, you have to say this squarely falls on him. I mean, it, it was it was a disaster, nothing short of it. Uh, and, and you know, the Eagles are, are looking at this and saying, okay, you know, we've been able to make excuses for him, but this is now time for him to own up. And I'm sure that the the media speculation of you know, oh, is he worth the money? Oh, he's been terrible this year. That's certainly gotten to him. It seems like he he just looks a little more rattled out there than he usually does. In uh, but like you know, I, I just feel like. Overall, the team has to say, okay, you know, we're locked into this guy. We need to do whatever we can to help him. And I don't know if I consider the Eagles to be legitimate threats to make the playoffs. Mm -mm. Obviously, with the the really terrible NFC East this season, they they could win out and and, and get a playoff spot. And they might not even need to win out, honestly, uh, to get a playoff spot because the Cowboys just can't beat good teams. But, you know, I don't see this team as, as being able to go deep in the playoffs, given its offensive woes, given the injuries that it's just had to deal with all season long. Uh, I think going into next year, you need to make offensive weapons uh, a clear priority for this team because, you know, right now, the, the group that is on the field, obviously injuries have hit them hard. You know, we're without Deshaun Jackson, without Nelson Aguilar, uh, without uh, their starting running back, Jordan Howard. I mean, they, they looked like they had one of the deepest running back groups in the NFL entering the year. And now Jay Ajayi is logging carries for them, you know, who they picked up off a street after, uh, after he tore his ACL last year. I mean, you know, that's definitely not where they want to be right now. Injuries have been terrible, but I don't think uh, I think that next year you need to make a priority of getting some offensive weapons uh, into that locker room. Yeah, and it's tough because they they need the offensive weapons. They also need secondary help. So you got to figure out which one you're going to attack in free agency and which one you're going to hope to get through the draft. So they they got a lot of things to work on, definitely. I should. We should add a buzzer sound instead of my annoying voice. That might actually. <laughs> I sound like a sheep. Uh, all right. So our our last football talk. Uh, this is kind of college, but kind of uh, NFL. We we haven't had a chance to talk. We we had this big 
Tua versus Joe Burrow podcast mm-hmm. in what happens the following weekend. Tua gets that terrible hip injury that effectively ends his college football career. There's no doubt that he is going to be declaring for the draft, uh, regardless of whether or not he is uh, healthy by the time uh, scouts take a look at him uh, before the draft. So that being said, we assume that he is not going to be drafted one overall now. How far exactly does he fall, Blake? I'm wondering, have you put together a mock where you have to, uh, you know, in the first round? Yeah, I still have him in the first round. And to be completely honest, I'm still putting him in between that, that you know, 5 to 12 range. I think he's still worthy of being the second or third quarterback taken. A lot of people will take a look at Justin Herbert's performance this past week um, against Arizona State. And while I think he did a good job bringing them back in, there were a couple bad plays in there too. And nationally televised game a lot of people will think that hurts his draft stock I'm not sure about that of course you know that that you know two is my number three guy in there but I still think we're in a situation where we could get three quarterbacks taken in the top 10 and I think there's a chance we get four or five in the first round again Uh, just a lot of quarterback needy teams on the back end of the draft but Tua to me I don't think you could pick him I don't think you could take someone like a Jordan Love out of Utah State or a Jalen Hurts out of Oklahoma, or who else am I forgetting? There's another quarterback, Jacob Eason out of Washington. Tua should still be that number three guy. Uh, To take a look, I've got the draft order up right now. I mean, if even, you know, if you're you're the Chargers at 11, I'd go ahead, try and move up maybe to pick eight or seven to take Tua. Tampa at 12 is enticing. Uh, You get a little bit lower down. It's a little more difficult. Of course, Tennessee is on its run now, and they're above 500. So I feel like that falls a little too late unless they wanted to trade up. But if you're a team and you're you're Denver, maybe Drew Locke doesn't show it, and you're like, all right, let's try this one more time. Or uh, or maybe Atlanta or Detroit, and it's like, okay, let's just have a guy. We can let Tua sit his rookie year because he's going to be hurt and see what we've got there. Uh, I don't think it'd be I, – I would be shocked if he fell outside, like, the top 16, I'd say. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you. Even even if there are teams who you know maybe have a, a quarterback in mind, like you mentioned for next year, this is somebody who could sit behind them, get completely healthy, mm-hmm. get acclimated to the NFL, kind of have a redshirt year before you know really stepping in uh, in what is that twenty twenty one you know the twenty twenty one season as, as your new QB one. Here's an interesting one. What about the Raiders? John Gruden lo- would love to, to have Tua at the helm. I mean, you know, you obviously are locked up with Derek Carr right now, and, and the mm-hmm. offense has looked good in recent weeks, but I don't think anyone can deny the point differential minus 56. You know, the fact that they're 6-5 and five right now is definitely a bit of luck. Uh, they've, you know, not necessarily racking up the points either. You know, you, you kind of put some pressure on Carr uh, by bringing in Tua to say, okay, look, you know, he's not going to play this year. You know, you have nothing to worry about for the 2020 season, but they have the Bears pick right now, which may be a little bit low. They might have to trade up from there, depending on how the Bears finish, because I have a feeling the Bears are just going to stumble to an 8-8 eight and eight record, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, yeah. it's just terrible for them because, one, oh, they don't have yeah. the pick anyway, but, uh, <laughs> you know, that's going to screw them in later drafts, uh, later rounds uh, in that draft, too. So I just feel like the Bears are, are just destined to be an eight and eight team Mm -hmm. uh so you probably you know you mentioned you don't think of getting past 16 if the raiders don't move i I think that's a great pick for them right yeah the raiders would be a good situation now Derek carr has had a better season this year than he was than he did last year and um absolutely i don't know how yeah like you said it could be that bridge type quarterback where maybe they give Carr one more go at it and bring two i mean you could you could say that two it sits two years i mean we're we're only like what 
seven, eight years removed from that being the standard yeah, with exactly. quarterbacks. I mean, yeah. we weren't getting these Kyler Murrays jumping in and starting week one, Baker Mayfields getting in by week three. I mean, yeah. you know, that that just wasn't really what happened. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that, you know, with Gruden, who used to coach under that system, I could definitely see him doing something like that. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised, too. And with how well they hit last year's draft, They've got a lot of young prospects coming up where some of their holes that you think they might have aren't as big and you can address them in free agency with the cap room that they have. Um, I want to take back something that I said, though, because I I said Atlanta and Detroit in there. Their quarterbacks to me are just too young right now. Like Matt Ryan, I think, is 34. He's got he's got a few years left. Detroit's he's got extended a few too. Years. I think he's got a big deal. Right, yeah, he does. So I would take away those two teams. I really think realistically, what we look at is Cincinnati's gonna take Joe Burrow. Does Miami take them at three? I'm not sure, but then you could take a look at. I guys. feel like if Miami, Miami's got to go Herbert. I would, I would think so, and I would. Hope, I feel like that fits Brian Flores a little bit more. But then I take a look mm-hmm. at the Chargers. Philip Rivers got to move on from him. Tampa, you're moving on from Jameis, unless Tennessee wants to trade up. And like you said, Oakland, those seem to be the most realistic uh, scenarios I would say for me. Denver, yeah, Is that enticing. Yeah, all? Uh, well, hopefully we get Drew Locke this week and he kind of hopefully becomes I mean they've just drafted so many quarterbacks and missed on so many I hope Locke <laughs> yeah. is the guy but I you know you you could never know what uh what John Elway is going to do in the draft John Elway is really hope I that's a, a big thing is is, he, is his job on the line we're over time but yeah uh you know is his job on the line with Drew Locke right now it, it uh, that's well a that's be. an interesting wrinkle uh with this season because we could see a very different front office and make a very aggressive move oh yeah uh you know the old timer John Elway now I bet you they go young if they if they do fire him I bet you they go some young savvy exec who's got big bright ideas mm-hmm. and they go big on a quarterback I, I could definitely see that oh yeah all right that is NFL in a solid <laughs> 17 minutes uh nice. so only two minutes over I'd say that's pretty good mm-hmm. um all right, so we're going to go ahead and jump into some NBA here uh, when I pull up my topics. All right, so this is actually, Blake, this is a, an argument I've been having in my office at work. Ooh. Uh, and we have some, some very heated people on either side, so I really want to know what your take here is. James Harden is off to a pretty historic sc- start to the season scoring-wise. He leads the league. 37.9 points per game, an absolutely ridiculous number. Uh, and, you know, with the way that he has been playing, the, the amount that he shoots, I don't see that necessarily going down. In fact, I know this is, is really early to talk about the MVP uh, conversation here, but I don't want to talk about necessarily him right now. I want to talk about him at the end of the season. If at the end of the year, James Harden is averaging 40 points per game, is he the MVP of the NBA? This is such a tough one. This is tough because you also – because to me right now, I mean, you've got guys like Luka and and Giannis out there, and it depends what their seasons are looking like too, of course, and and their records. But for James Harden, if he's averaging 40 points – I feel like they would give him the MVP award, but I also feel like it's a situation where Russell Westbrook got the award for averaging a triple-double and kind of an MVP that we look back a few years ago and we're like, yeah, but they were a sixth seed in the in the Western Conference and so like and they made it to the second round of the playoffs. So like what did it really matter? Was he really the most valuable? Um, so, so the Rockets, I mean, James Harden, I mean, he's balling out, you know, right now, 38 points a game, eight assists, six rebounds. Uh, the shooting percentages are a little bit lower compared to his standards. He really struggled from three to start off the year. Um, PER is right up there, 30.1. It just really, to me, if he's averaging 40 points a game, how many shots is he taking? Are, are the Rockets still winning games? What is, I, 
I guess I feel like he would get the MVP award, but I feel like three years down the road, we'd look at it kind of like we did the Russell Westbrook MVP award and be like, well, what did that really matter if they didn't make it, you know, to a Western Conference Finals? Yeah, I mean, to me, it just, it's inefficient, man. All right, so the, the last time a player averaged 40 points a game over the course of a full season was 1962-1963 Wilt Chamberlain. Mm-hmm. It was actually the second straight year that he did it. Uh, 50.4 the year before Jesus. that. Uh, then he fell down to earth only 44.8 <laughs> points per game uh, at that point. Now keep in mind back in the 60s you know we're talking about a very different era of the NBA. You know guys kind of off the street uh, of, as far as caliber of players playing uh, were, were in the NBA at that point. Uh, the talent was nowhere where near where it is today uh, by any means. And, you know, I think that his dominance cannot be, you know, overstated of how much better he was in the, NBA, uh, the rest of the league. The fact that Harden is doing this in today's era is significant, right? Uh, but to me, it, most valuable player has to be about value. And if you are being an inefficient player, I don't necessarily think that actually works in your favor to being valuable to the team. Now, is Harden a valuable player? Absolutely. He's one of the best in the game. There's no doubt about it. But if I'm talking about what Giannis is adding to the table, I'm talking about what Luka is adding to the table, LeBron in, in this season, uh, and Anthony Davis, you know, what they bring to the table as far as being valuable to their team and on-court production, I have to say that it's better. It's more well-rounded. Do you know the only player right now, Blake, who is ranked in the top five of points, rebounds, and assists? Uh, ooh, Giannis. Gotta be, right? Nope. No? It's Luka. Luka. It's Luka it Doncic. Okay. In fact, not only is the He's only player in, in the top five... Yes. Wow. And not only is he the only player in the top five of all three of those categories, he's the only player in the top 15 of all three of those categories. And he's in the top five. So I think that the the well-rounded game that, that he is bringing to the table, that to me screams MVP. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily somebody who's just pure volume right. uh, in terms of scoring. Because the, the number of threes that he's taking, the number of free throws he's taking, it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And and the other thing I would say is to take a look at, at the, you know, player efficiency rating is a, is a really good stat to measure, you know, someone's value in the NBA. Luka Doncic right now, 33.29 would go down as the highest player efficiency rating of all time. Number two right now, Giannis Antetokounmpo, 31.99 of this season, second highest of all time. One of those two guys, if those numbers keep up and their player efficiency rating is the highest of all time, we're talking better than anything Wilt did, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Steph Curry, like that is an unbelievable level. Now, of course, is that going to carry through the entire season? And that's what we're all kind of basing this off of. Is Harden going to average 40? Is Luka's PER around 33.29? What is Giannis doing? Uh, to me, it comes down to, I agree, the well-rounded game of, of Luka and Giannis, and Giannis should get either of them the MVP award. If they did to Harden, like, I agree. I, I just feel like it would be one of those things where we'd look back and be like, man, we screwed some great players out of this award just because of one outlandish statistic. And here's my last parting thing on this, Blake. Mm-hmm. James Harden has taken 234 three-pointers this season. Luka <laughs> is number two. Number two at 150. Yeah. 234 to 150. Now let's go over to free throws, okay? Harden has taken 208 free throws this year. That leads the league as well. You know who's number two? Luka at 116. 
Okay, the pure volume mm-hmm. of that he is on the floor having opportunities to shoot is why he is averaging such a high point total, and he should absolutely not be MVP purely for that statistic. Right. Okay, I just had to get that off my chest right, I because you. I mean, I'm oof. with you. You've got some. You got some people <laughs> at the office that feel the other way, I, huh? Oh, and they they are loud, and uh, you know they they are really passionate about it. So I just had to, I had to bring that out here um, and, and make sure that I, I put my you know two cents in now. Going over to the Blazers, one of the most <laughs> disappointing teams in the NBA right now. They've dropped four straight to fall to 5-12 and 12 on the season, uh, staggering nine and a half games back of the Lakers, three and a half games back of the Timberwolves at the number eight seed right now. Their point differential, minus 3.8. Their defense has been absolutely dreadful, uh, top 10 worse in the NBA this season. Blake, what the hell is going on? Yeah, man, the problem with the Trailblazers is that they, first off, it started in the offseason. They made some pretty bad moves. If you're out there trading for Hassan Whiteside and you're giving up some some big men that also can stretch the floor and shoot, you're really sending yourself back to the 1970s. You're playing inefficient basketball. We want big men where you can switch one to five, all five guys can be on the perimeter, can add in jump shots, and then you go ahead and get a big salary in Hassan Whiteside and you take away something that all of your other centers could do, you know, a guy like... Um, Myers Leonard now and things like that. You want that type of big man because really, you know, the seven foot guy that is super physical in the paint, you know, Andre Drummond gets 18 rebounds a game. No one's talking about him as one of the best players in the league. So to me, it started in the offseason when they made some pretty bad moves and, and really pushed themselves into the past with this season. And then you come to the year of it, you know, they're a little banged up. They're missing Dame for a little bit. Uh, you know, they've got Whiteside who is kind of banged up. Uh, Zach Collins, of course, is is a is a big injury too. Um, he dislocated his left shoulder uh, and he is supposed to miss at least the next four months. That's a big injury to a young guy at the forward position who is coming up. And so you got some injuries at the wing. You bring in Carmelo. I, look, I love Carmelo more than anything. He is one. He's up there. He's my third favorite athlete of all time. It goes Derek Jeter, Peyton Manning, Carmelo Anthony. He's my number three guy. I love him. He doesn't play an efficient style of basketball in 2019. So really the Portland Trailblazers since the offseason have moved themselves away from being an efficient guy, uh, an efficient team. And also not to mention that CJ McCollum is a guy that also likes to play a lot of, uh, you know, mid-range jumpers, inefficient shots that don't correlate to success in today's NBA. And that's kind of why we've kind of whiffed on them and, and they've just been so abysmal this year. Well, the season is twenty percent through, mm-hmm. uh, in in the with where their winning percentage is at, it's as if they were on a one and three start in the NFL. Right. You know, I, I think that at that point, yeah. certainly there's a lot of cause for concern, but mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of people are freaking out to the degree that people are freaking out about the Blazers. You know, with a with a one and three NFL team, it's certainly not a good look, but we've seen plenty of times where teams have turned things around. I know oh, yeah. the Saints two years ago uh, started out one and three. So they then I think rattled off nine straight and, and made all the way to the uh, Minneapolis Marigold game. Um, but anyway, you know, th- this team is, is definitely has a different look the, uh, than in years past. Uh, like you mentioned, they had some offseason moves that have kind of taken them away uh, from their identity. And I think a big part of that is Hassan Whiteside, man. He just doesn't fit the mold yeah. that the Blazers have had in years past. He's uh, First of all, he's always hurt, uh, so he's never on the court. Uh, but two, you know, he's just so wildly inconsistent. He doesn't play good defense ever. I mean, he looks uh, – honestly, he's one of the laziest players in, in the NBA in my opinion. 
the way he plays on defense. It's just he never gets down the court in transition, uh, doesn't necessarily come off a pick very well. You know, it, it's really just a, a lot of little things that kind of add up with him. Uh, so, you know, I think they're going to have to make a trade at some point uh, to, you know, boost this team. I think that they can turn around with the roster that they have. I don't necessarily know if they can compete with the likes of the Lakers and the Celtics and the Jazz right now uh, where things stand. But I, I do think that they can certainly turn things around and make the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think they can turn it around too. I mean, when healthy, it's a good team. You know, with Zach Collins back in there, uh, you know, with Carmelo Anthony hopefully playing a little bit more style as the number three guy in there, they can still make the playoffs. I mean, it's a good Western Conference. And yeah, a one and three start is a good comparison to it. A lot of people, you know, I wouldn't take a look at one and three and say that, you know, they're finished. Now, if it goes to a one and four, one and five, two and five, then you get to be a little bit worried. Um, I just, I really think I, they, they like we both have said, they just kind of move themselves away from what wins basketball games in 2019. And, and it's really unfortunate to see because they have a lot of talent on that team. Yep. All right. Our last NBA thing here. Woes dropped the other day. A big story about what the NBA is considering as early as 2021. A couple mm. of changes that they're considering rolling out, including a shorter season, cutting it down to 78 games, a mid-season tournament. I... I don't even know what they're going to call it, but apparently that's on the table and reseeding in the playoffs uh, after the sec first two rounds ahead of the conference finals games. Blake, where are you on all this? I mean, do you oh, think that these are good ideas? Dude, I love it. I love it because <laughs> because I've always thought for a while that that professional soccer across, you know, if I enjoyed watching soccer a little bit more and, and that comes from me playing soccer my entire life, if I enjoyed watching soccer the way that they have it formatted with different tournaments mid-season like that it's so much it's so much fun you've got a bunch of different ways that you can shake things up and um it, it would it helps make a very long regular season seem a little bit shorter and a little bit segmented i would love it for the nba to make these moves first off i think in a league in the nba where you've got more than half of your teams making the postseason it, you, you've got bad teams in playoffs. You shouldn't be rewarding teams from having a losing record in the Eastern Conference and making the playoffs. So if you can restructure it, and of course that makes the regular season a little bit shorter, hopefully you shorten up the playoff teams a little bit, restructuring the conference finals team, having a play-in game, a mid-season tournament. These seem all things that kind of move towards something unique that we don't see in American professional sports. We don't see it in baseball. We don't see it in, in football. We've got, you know, all-star games, things like that. But that's just a, a joke, you know, essentially, where a bunch of people are getting together to, to cash another check. I think that these moves would make the NBA a lot more interesting because it's a season that's just so long. We've got so many concerns over load management. We've got, you know, people, you know, viewership for the NBA is down. I want to say 17% so far this year. I think I saw that last week. And so this would be something that would re-engage the fans and really take basketball to another level because it's a growing sport. The money is there. And now if you can add in, this is a plus for, for teams, it's a plus for, you know, the league itself. It's a plus for all of the media outlets to get more stuff. Like if you can get that midseason tournament, that's a ton of more money coming your way. And it's great for the viewers because it makes, you know, what is a regular season that's long and clunky a little bit more interesting. All right, Blake. I hate to do you don't you don't like it? Oh, dude. You're so oh, let's hear it. I think it's the wrong sport, first of all. I, mm. I think this Mid-season tournament idea would be fantastic for college football. I think you should take the bowls 
move them to the middle of the year, have an entire week where everybody is off. Okay. That's like a week that everybody has off and the top, whatever many teams that make bowls every year, you know, however many teams make bowls every year, have those bowls game mid season. So that all of a sudden, you know, after having to watch, you know, Furman versus Alabama, one week, you finally get to see Alabama versus Georgia, you know, right in the middle of the year. Uh, you know, maybe not, you know, SEC versus SEC, but you get the point. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you pit, you pit Clemson against Alabama midseason. That can really shake up the college football. And then you expand the college football playoff. I think that would be awesome. I have so many ideas for how college football could be reformatted. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about the adopting the soccer and, um, oh, what's the word, uh, where you like move up divisions, uh, if you like, you're the top two yeah, teams. Yeah. It's you move just up like class- promotion. What's that called? Well, it's, it's yeah. essentially like a promotion or essentially. Yeah. yeah I think, like I think they should just rank the conferences and do that. Now that will never happen because of money, but I think this is something that they could do. Uh, now as far as the NBA goes, the reason I don't like it is because no one's going to take it seriously. And, Look, and I'm not talking about the fans. I'm talking about the players and the coaches. I mean, mm. load management is a huge topic in the NBA right now. And players you know, sitting games out so that they're healthy by the time the playoff comes. I saw a tweet right after this came out. Kawhi Leonard already declared out uh, for the 2021 midseason tournament. Like, hmm. you know, that's the kind of thing is, is you know, players are going to sit this out because it doesn't mean anything. And sure, you can give financial, uh, you know, accolades and things like yeah. that, trophies at the end of the tournament, whatever, whatever. But, you know, people care about championship rings. I'm sorry. That's that's what goes into becoming a Hall of Famer, which is ultimately what it's about for a lot of players. You know, it's about the glory, about, you know, being a legend, all that kind of stuff. And I, I just don't think that a midseason tournament gets you there, you know? Well, for for soccer, and and this is where they're drawing everything over. They're basically doing what soccer is doing over, you know, in 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 Spain and France and things like the yeah, midseason yeah. tournaments have value to them. You know, people care about those midseason tournaments. But how long have there. they been around? I guess. They, well, that's the thing is that you you can't just start something and have it be important yeah, from day. And, it's going to take time. And you'll to have build to build. Up. But I mean, I think you know that the, the, those tournaments started way before social right. media and yeah. you know when it was easy for a stigma to take over like that and you mm-hmm. know they were kind of at the foundation of those leagues where it was just kind of the thing you know it was always part of it when you're throwing this into the NBA I mean you're going to have fans who just hate on it right away and that's going to be a, a thing on Twitter that they're going to have to deal with and I get that Twitter isn't the majority of the fan base and people will watch I'm you know I'm not saying that it won't necessarily make money mm-hmm. I, I just I think that there are going to be a lot of issues that creep up with it that's my thing i do think a shorter season is a good idea you know if if you can take out five games and then spread out all the games throughout the season so that players are playing less back-to-backs less you know four and six days things like that you know that's i think a better idea because then you'll actually have players who will play the full season Right, but what if it was for some of those bad teams that maybe are struggling right around the postseason to get? Maybe you shorten the postseason to make it, you know, six teams uh, from each conference. But then you have that six spot open for you know, or you have one spot open a play-in game for the winner of that midseason tournament. What if that is the chance? So what if the Knicks just go super hard in that tournament, win it, and all of a sudden they get that last playoff bid, and it's because they were rewarded for taking that midseason tournament seriously. I don't know. I'm not sure really what their full plans are. We've only heard little leaks of what they're potentially planning, so it's tough to really gauge what it would look like, but I feel like you know, yes, there's going to be clapback from all over the place, and that's with any decision anyone makes. It's just the culture we live in, which kind kind of sucks to be completely yeah, honest it, it just ruins no, i know i'm like, just look i'm just trying to be realistic yeah that's my thing yeah and, and look i mean one, uh, 
Cybertruck comes out and everyone shits on it. I'm totally going to get myself. <laughs> Tell me you're not buying oh, it. I no. would love a Cybertruck, bro. Don't get oh me started. <laughs> you see the glass break? As uh, it's the prototype. They got two, barely even through the ball. Two at years it. before it comes out, they got time to fix it. You're killing me, man. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think I think that the idea of, of thinking about these things is good. Right. I mean, you know, I've been saying that MLB needs to get more creative. I think that the NBA has always been ahead of the curve on those kind of things. I'm not surprised by any means that the NBA is considering something like this. I just, you know, I think that you're on the right track in that you're saying, like, okay, the winner of that tournament gets an automatic playoff bid. But, you know, tell me right now that the Lakers wouldn't take it seriously. You know, they, they know they're making the playoffs. Right. Even if LeBron or, or AD get hurt, mm-hmm. you know, they know that they're going to be making the playoffs. They're not concerned about that in any way. They would have no reason to, you know, fight for a playoff bid in that. I mean, I guess it's saying like, okay, this is for the, the younger, the scrappier teams, whatever, yeah. the teams that are in the hunt. That's kind of where the, you know, glory is at. But I don't know. I feel like tournaments are supposed to recognize greatness. And if the the best players or the best teams aren't giving it their all, like I think yeah. that's a bad product. Yeah, you're definitely going to have to find a way to create value enough where every team takes it as seriously. So, you know, I'm not sure what it's going to look like, how much money they could tap into, what other things are out there. But uh, no, you, you, make, you make good points. It's going to be tough to really get those teams to really care about it because they don't care about the regular season as it is. Yeah, it's pretty bad. That's that's the state of the NBA right now, and yeah. love it or hate it, you know that that's kind of the reality right. that we're in. All right, so we're gonna move on now. We definitely went over on that last topic uh, a little yeah. bit, but um, I think we're overall still on a, a pretty good track here. Uh, we'll, we'll move and shift gears over to the N- MLB, excuse me, uh, where we're gonna have to start with the White Sox, who are obviously yeah. so far the talk of the off season, uh, having made two major moves. First, they signed Yasmani Grandal to a four-year, seventy-three million dollar deal, which is actually the largest contract ever issued in White Sox history, Jesus. Uh, which is actually pretty crazy uh, to think about. And then, just a few days later, they go around and they extend Jose Abreu who just recently accepted the qualifying offer to stay with the team. He takes a three-year, $50 million extension, uh, including a $5 million signing bonus uh, with an $11 million 2020 salary, uh, which is actually lower, oddly enough, than the salary he was going to make uh, at with the qualifying hmm. offer, which was $17.8 million. So he actually lowered his salary this year, but then insured his financial future for the next two years after that. So the White Sox making some big moves so far. Offense, not necessarily the big uh, driver as to far why they were struggling last year. It was certainly pitching, and they're going to need to do that. Uh, but Blake, from here, you know, bridging off of that, after signing Grandal and Abreu, what do the White Sox need to do to be legit contenders? You know, to be completely honest, I don't know. You know, the White Sox are just are there are is the mix of these early signings plus the talent that they already have, the young talent that is coming up. Is that good enough to make a jump in a tough division that they already have? You know, you've got you've got the Indians, you've got the the Twins that are coming off 101 wins, Cleveland 193. Um, and who knows, you know, the future of Francisco Lindor there as well, too. I just, I don't know if these moves are actually going to be what it takes to move the White Sox up into that playoff contention. Um, I'm not sure what else it would take out there. I, I'm assuming you gotta, you gotta continue to upgrade in free agency on some other positions there, too. But to me, I mean, you've got Abreu, Grandal, Anderson, Moncada, and Eloy Jimenez. So you've, did I say his last name right? Jimenez? Jimenez? Jimenez. 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 Okay. Right. And so Anderson, Moncada, Jimenez, 
uh, .871 OPS and 74 homers in 2019. Um, and now you bring in a couple extra bats in there as well, too. I, I'm not sure if they have what it takes. I, they'll move the needle up a little bit. I'm not sure if it's too, it's big enough to capture you know that division title. You know, uh, for me with the AL Central, it's a crapshoot. I mean, look at the Twins from last year. They go 101 and 61, which just on the surface looks like a fantastic season. Mm-hmm. And the Twins, they did have a very good season. The offense was absolutely incredible. They had a few career years from some of their pitching. They they overall had a very good team uh, that didn't deserve the ending that it had in the playoffs. Now, you look a little bit deeper into that. Of their 101 wins, Blake, 50 came against the rest of the AL Central. <laughs> 50 of their 101 wins. That is easily the most wins any team had versus uh, their own division. So you look at that right now. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. Uh, The the Yankees had 54 (laughs) uh, against the AL East. God damn it. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, the the Twins were up there, you know, just absolutely decimating uh, the the rest of the division. And, you know, you increase that talent level of the White Sox. You you think that the Indians will still be contenders. I don't know where the Royals or the Tigers are going to be, but, you know, you'd think that the White Sox, the Indians, and Twins are all going to be able to beat up on them. It just kind of depends on you know, where they come uh, around each other. I think this closes the gap a little bit. But that being said, like I said before, pitching was the real struggle. I mean, they have hitters top to bottom. Uh, You know, if you add uh, Riaz Monte-Grandal into this group, you're looking at uh, a lineup that's got Tim Anderson near the top. You've got Jose Abreu right there in the middle. Yohan Moncada finally took that leap forward they were hoping for after trading for him from the Red Sox. Eloy Jimenez had a pretty good rookie season. You know, that outfield overall outside of Jimenez definitely struggled, but, you know, they're hoping for maybe some better production moving forward. But looking at that pitching staff, outside of Lucas Giolito, who who had a fantastic year, nobody had a a sub-four ERA. Uh, Ivan Nova, Reynaldo Lopez, Dylan Cease. They had Ross Detweiler make 12 starts this year. (laughs) I didn't even know that. Dylan Covey, I mean, just not a, a great group. I think if you want to be a legit contender, if you're the White Sox, then you've got to have at least two more starting pitchers added to that rotation. I think one of them has to be Zach Wheeler or Madison Bumgarner. I mean, I don't think yeah. that they're going to spend the amount of money required on Strasburg or Garrett Cole, no. but I think they could easily make a deal uh, with one of those two guys and, and kind of have them be you know that veteran near the top of the rotation. I think you still make Giolito your number one. Right. E- well, actually, you know what? You with, with how much they're paid... With how much they're paid, like it was like when Strasburg, you know, was was kind of the number one in DC, and then uh, Max Scherzer gets signed yeah. to a two hundred ten million dollar deal. I mean, Scherzer had already won a Cy Young, so that's kind of a, a little bit of a different story. But when he came over, you know, you could say that Strasburg's year before was pretty good, and that he might have deserved it because he'd been with the team for a while. But they gave that number one start to Scherzer, and he's had it uh, every year except for this year. He was hurt to start the year, but other than that, you know, Strasburg has kind of been that number two. I think you could see something similar with Giolito, and, and you know, maybe that changes next year if Giolito continues to ball and uh, Zach Wheeler kind of falls off or Madison Bumgarner or whatever. But I think that you do need to add at least two more starting pitchers before you really start talking about the White Sox as legit contenders. Right. No, I completely agree, and, and I. You know, like you were saying, that division is a little out in the open for them to be able to take uh, to take charge of. It does come down to the pitching staff behind Giolito. Now, I don't. What's the, I'm not sure what how much money they're up to now. How how much are you think they're willing to go? Do you think they would try and go after both, or does it seem like one of those two and then one guy of the tier below? Yeah, I probably don't think they get both. Yeah, I mean they're they're definitely you know 
exceeding expectations. They're being right aggressive, now. yeah. They're being aggressive. That's not something I would have necessarily expected. Now, you know, if you're the White Sox, at some point you gotta, you know, try and contend. I said yeah. the same thing about the Phillies last offseason, mm-hmm. you know, and the rebuild already. You know, at, at a certain point, you've got the young guys coming up, and Amedes right. Cease uh, finally, you know, made the majors this year. He's a he was a highly t- touted prospect for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, outside of of the Bumgarner and, and Zach Wheeler realm, you know, you're looking at you know Hyunjin Ryu. Uh, MLB trade rumors only thinks he's going to make three years, fifty four million. That mm. might be an intriguing option for you. Yeah. Uh, Jake Odorizzi, who was just with the Twins, you've definitely seen enough of him over the past few years. You know, you sign him uh, to an extension. That that's an option, or not extension, but a deal. That that's an option too. So I think that they go for one of those two, and Zach Wheeler and uh, Madison Bumgarner, and then after that, you kind of go for that that second tier of starters, and you know, hopefully the the back end can be bookend by you know some solid guys, Dallas Keuchel, another name, mm-hmm. uh, or or Cole Hamels. You know, those guys probably won't be too expensive. So right, you know, we'll see. Actually, MLB I, Trade Rumors thinks that Keuchel does sign with the White Sox. That was their prediction. Nice. Three years, yeah. thirty-nine million. I, I think, like you say, it, it is the time to because at some point you're going to have to extend all these guys to massive deals if they keep going on the trajectory they're on. Giolito, Moncada, Anderson, Jimenez. Like you're going to have to pay those guys. They're not going to, by the way. They're, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's, that's that's a good like point. The, it's the same thing <laughs> yeah. that the, the Indians are facing with Lindor right, right. now. They're, they're just not, not going. Good, they're, to. they're not that kind of team. They're yeah. not going to extend that. By the way, Odorizzi uh, took the qualifying offer from the Twins, so he's back ah, in Minnesota next year. I forgot about that. So he's not on the market. But I do think that. Uh, Dallas Keuchel would be an that interesting would be. fit for them. That would be, definitely. All right. Moving on, though, the Red Sox. Yeah. <laughs> uh, another player who is not going to be extended by their current team, Mookie Betts, man. Uh, I've spent a lot of time on Twitter talking about Mookie Betts the past few weeks, and yes. a lot of Nats fans think I'm crazy for talking about how Washington could conceivably trade for him. Uh, despite the fact that their farm system isn't all that great. But given the state of the Red Sox right now, Blake, they're financially constrained. Uh, They have a couple of bad contracts that are going to look even worse uh, in the next year or so that they're tied down to. They had a disappointing season with a plethora of holes that they need to fill across the roster. And, of course, a new president of baseball operations. Everything has been overhauled. They have a new plan. Cut money. We still want to contend, but we need to shed salary. Are the Red Sox crazy for thinking about trading Mookie Betts? Matt, I'll tell you this. I love this. This makes me so, so happy to see the Red Sox in such <laughs> a tight situation. I have heard shit. Like, being a being a New Yorker and being a Yankees fan, every person that I meet that, that walks around from Boston, whether it's, you know, the Patriots, the Celtics, or especially the Red Sox, they've been driving me batshit crazy for the last decade. And so now we've got a situation where the Red Sox, they're virtually fucked. They're, they're kind of fucked. They'd have to do a ton of reconstruction to make this thing work. Um, given their, given their financial structure, they're, they're overpaying players that certainly aren't worth the money that they're making. They've got Mookie Betts now in a situation where he should be their franchise guy, but they're in a situation where they're not able to pay him right now. So it's a little bit tough to figure out what the future is there too. I think they're crazy for trading Mookie Betts, but at the same time, they're in a situation where their hands are kind of tied eventually, and they're going to have to make a a really hard decision on whether to deal with a a shitty roster and paying Mookie Betts, or are they going to try and just, okay, we got the World Series that we wanted, we just got to really start from the bottom, and that includes moving on from Betts. It's going to be a tough decision. Either way, I don't think it goes too well for him. Yeah, 
I think they have to do it. Yeah. Which, you know, it might come off as a little biased because I do think the Nats should trade for him. Right. But at the same time, you, you look up and down this roster. Let's let's just look at a couple salaries for just the 2020 season, okay? Yeah. David Price <laughs> will make $32 million. Chris Sale will make $30 million. Oh, talk dirty Mookie Betts me. is projected to make $27.5 million in arbitration. J.D. Martinez, $23,750,000. Xander Bogarts projected to make $20 million in arbitration. That's five players I've already named making over $20 million. That's not even taking into account Nathan Yavaldi, $17 million, had a terrible season last year, and Dustin Pedroia at $13.125 million, who's played all of nine games the last two seasons. So overall, that's a lot of money tied into what is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven players. I mean, we're, we're talking with the way they have now, price, sale, Ovaldi and Pedroia all have question marks about either their performance or their health moving forward. And to the point where you can't feel comfortable rolling with them as to be, you know, those two starters to make each 30 starts uh, or sorry, three starters to make uh, 30 starts. Ovaldi ended up in the bullpen at one point last year. Uh, And then Pedroia, you you definitely can't count on him to be your everyday second baseman next season. Mm -hmm. And he's still signed through 2021. Uh, Price signed through 2022. Chris Sale through 2024. Oh, I mean, Evaldi. still has three more years on his contract. I mean, J.D. Martinez has three more years after picking up his team option. I mean, Martinez had a good year. Wasn't necessarily the season we saw out of him before, but, you know, he, he's on the, the wrong side of the aging curve. So there is just a lot of financial problems. And you look at, okay, if they have all this money tied up, well, can they at least go to their farm system? The Red Sox have one of the worst farm systems in baseball. Entered last season, ranked by ESPN as the 27th farm system in baseball, and it really didn't get all that much better throughout the year. So where the Red Sox are now, they're financially you know, constrained. They have no farm system to help replenish uh, so all these roster holes that they now have because all of the cheap guys that they had are free agents. Mm-hmm. And then... They, of course, had an underwhelming season uh, in which they only won 84 games and finished third in the AL East. I mean, that right there is just a disaster. I mean, obviously, they won the World Series last year. There's no taking that away from them. And, and, you know, Red Sox fans can be happy about that for years and know that that team went all in uh, on winning that World Series. But at the same time, the, the moves that they've made... You know, signing Avaldi to that deal, giving Chris Sale uh, that extension, which at the time seemed like the right move. I won't, you know, I, I probably, uh, you know, it's more of a hindsight thing at this point uh, about Sale. Uh, same with Price, to be honest, you know, the, the money that they gave to him. But overall, they have to trade bets. I mean, he's their best asset if they want to either cut costs or replenish their farm system. And, you know, if they want to give up all of that salary, then, you know, they may, might be able to get a uh, might not be able to get as good a prospect, so maybe they eat a little bit of the money and, and do that. I don't know, uh, but uh, you know the way that the market's shaping up right now. This is the other thing. I I think that they have to trade Mookie Betts, but I don't think they will. Okay, and you want to know why? It's because you look at what happened with Paul Goldschmidt last offseason. He got traded for what was pennies at the time. He got the the Diamondbacks traded him to the Cardinals, who promptly gave him an extension. Who. Paul Goldschmidt, easily one of the top five hitters of the game at that point. Uh, Still, I would say top ten right now. But at that time, top five hitter in baseball, a premium first baseman, somebody who can plug and play, uh, always healthy, never have to worry about that. He got you two top 100 prospects, okay? The highest one, which was ranked unanimously 50th, 
Okay. Mm-hmm. One more pros- uh, player who was, I think, in his second year, a reliever or something like that, uh, who had never been on a prospect ranking in his career, and a competitive balance pick. I mean, if that's what's getting you a top five hitter in the game, I mean, Mookie Betts is better. Don't get me wrong. A gold glove right fielder. I mean, you know, those don't just grow on trees. Uh, not to mention he's a great dude, uh, you know, really gets along with his teammates, seems like a, a great addition to any clubhouse. But are, are you really going to get that significant of a, of a package greater than what the, the Diamondbacks got from for Goldschmidt? Now, you could argue that the Red Sox front office is, is smarter than the Diamondbacks. Sure, they're, they're not going to settle for something like that. But that's why I think with the state of the market right now, because he was a rental. Goldsch- that, that's what it came down to. Paul Goldschmidt was a rental, a one-year rental. And that's exactly what Mookie Betts is at a greater cost, might I add. Uh, and, you know, I don't think teams are willing to shell out the prospects that Boston's going to be looking for uh, for a player of Betts' caliber. So I don't think yeah. he gets traded. But I think yeah. they do need to make the move to either shed that salary or to you know at least get some kind of prospect capital. Yeah, it's the Debron- De- Dabrowski special. It, he, he'll build <laughs> you up, and then he'll just watch you fall apart after he gets fired because he screwed yep. you. He's, he's screwed them, and it, it's to me – it's a thing of beauty, and to you, it might be too. If if they move if they move bets to DC, this could be oh, something man. we both love to watch happen. This is the thing. My <laughs> qu- real quick because we're definitely over on time on yeah. this topic, but um, I think the Nats could formulate a deal, okay, mm-hmm. around Carter Keboom, yep. who's the twentieth ranked prospect in baseball. There, the Nationals' top prospect, uh, a shortstop slash second baseman slash third baseman, definitely a natural shortstop. Needs a little bit of work defensively, yeah. but you can his put hitting tools have look really good. Uh, you know, they have Bogarts yeah. and Trench there, but this thing, Dustin Pedroia, can you count right. him to be healthy? I don't know. No. You could conceivably throw him in there if, if Pedroia gets hurt, or if Pedroia stays healthy, you can give him another year in the minors. Plus, Adam Eaton, okay? The Nats already have a full outfield right now, but if you send Eaton, who's only being paid $9.5 million next year, mm-hmm. with a very team-friendly $10 million team option for 2021... That is called cutting costs while still being able to remain competitive. You can plug and play uh, Eaton at the top of the order. Now, right field is definitely very hard to play uh, at Fenway. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, this is the kind of you know sacrifice you have to make. It's certainly a step back uh, offensively and defensively with Eaton. But he's not a player. You know, they don't have a fourth outfielder right now on their roster. Brock Holt's a free agent. Uh, You know, it's, it's Jackie Bradley Jr. and Andrew Benatendi, and that's it. You know, they don't have another outfielder. So there's nobody that they can count on to fill in that right field spot if they trade bets away for prospects. You know, they would have to sign somebody. And a player of Eaton's caliber at $9 million a year, I mean, hey, I'll take that. Yeah. I, I think that works out great. Now, obviously, there are going to be more players that are going to be factored into that. I get it. But I think you start with those two you know, pieces right there, I think the Nats actually have a decent shot. It kind of depends on if the Nats are willing to trade Keyboom, which right. in deals past, you know, he that's one of the players that uh, the Marlins wanted for JT Real Muto. When mm. they were shopping him around and the Phillies ended up trading for him eventually, the Nats were not willing to part with Keyboom. And that was a big holdup in the deal. And so, I, you know, when Mike Rizzo gets stingy about a prospect, he really gets stingy. So I don't know if he's going to be willing to do it. I'm not saying that this is going to happen. But I think that there is definitely, you know, a conversation to be had if, if both sides are willing. Yeah, that would be an interesting fit. I, I, th- I The way – and I've, I've read, you know, your pieces on it. And I've, I've listened to you on Twitter kind of explain it out. I know we haven't really talked about it that in depth until just now. I think it makes sense for both sides where, where it would be a good move going forward. And so – uh, that would certainly be an interesting one. Now, I agree. Are the Nats going to be willing to part with him? With Keyboom is is the biggest question. 
Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, uh, Rizzo has to worry about his own future right now, too. He's only locked up through next season. So I think uh, one of the big priorities for him right. is getting an extension, I don't, which I think will happen. But, uh, you know, we'll see. All right. We've spent way too much long on that. So we have our last topic here uh, before we wrap things up. And we're going to talk about the other very active team mm-hmm. so far this offseason. That has been the Braves, uh, who have signed two relievers, Will Smith and Chris Martin, to multi-year deals while just, I believe, was it today or yesterday? I think it was yesterday. Travis Darno yep. uh, added to the catching mix there. So they're solidifying different parts of their roster. Certainly they've been the most aggressive team. They made the first signing of the offseason when they signed Will Smith uh, right before the arbitration deadline. He said he was going to take the Giants arbitration offer uh, unless some team signed him to a deal then, in which case they did. Uh, so he didn't have to take the offer, which I think was a great negotiating tool, by the way. Yeah, right. Because, um, you know, I think what if Dallas Keuchel or, or you know, uh, Craig Kimbrell had done that uh, last oh, offseason? Oh, yeah. You know, when, when everybody was slow playing the market, somebody mm-hmm. could have jumped on it and given them a multi-year deal. They might have actually made bank, you know? Exactly. Uh, and they said, okay, we're going to accept the qualifying offer. Now, players, people might not have believed it uh, with Kimbrell, but I think Keuchel it would have made a lot of sense. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. That, that's something to ponder. But overall, um, you know, with the Braves now solidifying their bullpen, they easily, just just by making those two moves, have the best bullpen in the NL East. I mean, it's uh, the Nats' bullpen woes are, are very well documented, and the Phillies had injuries from top to bottom. Uh, you know, you don't really know what to expect out of that group next year. So easily the Braves have the best bullpen. They already won the division each of the past two years. That that young offense is only looks like it's getting better. The rotation, uh, you know, really looked good last year too. Took a step forward. Everyone but Mike Fultonavich, that is. Uh, and so overall, the Braves certainly look like the favorite right now in the NL East as things stand on November 25th. Of course, we have a lot of offseason left, so a lot mm-hmm. of things can happen. What can the other contenders do to catch up? Where, How far away are the Nats and the Phillies and the Mets uh, from the Braves uh, right now? Blake, who do you think is the closest of those three? I think the closest of the three has to be the Nats. And because they have options where, where you could be looking at them at the end of the offseason, and they've got, they've got all of their holes, you know, their worries, I guess, their big guys that are entering free agency uh they've got situations where you can bring some people back of course like you said that Mookie Betts deal is still out there if 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 it's actually going to turn into anything um but you've got a situation where I I feel like the Nats still got to be right around there and and to me it's it's kind of 2A and 2B where I've got the Phillies if they can finally hit things right and actually get things going there's so much talent on that roster where last year they should have been a much better team than they were and now if you could get things right you switch manager and maybe you go forward in this year and everything starts to finally formulate together and Bryce Harper has a much better season and you've got all of your stars playing at a higher level I don't think it's that far apart and of course the Mets they've got a they've got a chance in there too uh, I would probably put them around four, um, but I feel like it's it's not that far apart. You know, the Braves won the division. You would expect that their young players take that next step again, and that might be tough to overcome because they've got great, talented, uh, you know, young players on their on their roster. And of course, they've been aggressive. You know, I love Will Smith uh, just just because he's one of those guys that I had on on our dynasty league that was so much fun. Um, and and so I don't know. I just I feel like it's not that far apart. Uh, and I would say at least one, two, and three between between the Braves, the Nats, and the Phillies. It's it's still up for grabs. There's a lot of time to be uh, a lot of time to for either of those teams to gain the edge over Atlanta. 
Yeah, I think the Nats have certainly some significant things to answer first. Right. You know, the futures of Steven Strasburg and Anthony Rendon are going to be huge for that the, the future of this franchise. I think that Strasburg gets re-signed. There's a, a rumor that he'll be re-signed by the Nats before the winter meetings. That That's something that they're trying to get done uh, so they can pivot and, and focus on the rest of their offseason. Anthony Rendon I'm a lot less confident about. Uh, he seems like he might be going to Texas. Uh, the mm. Rangers are opening a new stadium, and he's from the Houston area originally, has always you know, talked about his roots and how much he likes Texas. Uh, I would not be surprised if he does something like that. Plus, with the, the kind of deal he's looking for, which seems to be a short-term high AAV-type deal, I don't know if the Nats are going to be willing to pay him that much per year considering the luxury tax hit. Now, I think the Nats have to blow through the luxury tax regardless in order to keep maintain a competitive roster. Uh, you know, They have so many d- decisions they need to make, a lot of moves in the bullpen uh, that need to be addressed. Their bench is completely empty right now other than Michael Taylor uh, and possibly Rowdy Reed, who uh, you know is a AAA catcher who would split time with Kurt Suzuki right now if, if you're really comfortable with that. That's kind of what they're looking at right now um, with a lot of holes, obviously, that rotation without Strasburg, that's a huge piece there. Uh, overall, you know, the Nats have a lot of things to do. I, I think that right the way things stand right now, their roster is sitting at 31 dudes out of you know their 40 man roster has 31 people on it. That just shows you how much you know they have to do. So I think there's a significant gap right now between the Nats and the Braves. It really depends on what the Nats do. I, I fully expect them to make significant moves mm-hmm. and and climb up. I mean, the Nats were the busiest team of last offseason. You know, outside of the two teams that signed mega deals, you know, the the uh, Phillies and the Padres who gave you know Bryce Harper and Manny Machado you know over three hundred million dollars respectively. The Nats were the highest spending team last offseason uh, of any club. So you know I, I don't think that they're just going to sit on their hands after winning the World Series and be content with that. I fully expect them to remain aggressive. Uh, they seem to just be picking their spots right now, and I think that Rendon and Strasburg are clearly at the top of that priority list, and that's what they're dealing with first, trying to figure out where they stand so they can kind of address the rest of the offseason accordingly. So I could see them pivoting, sending a guy like Josh Donaldson or Mike Moustakis uh, at third base if Rendon moves on. Uh, there's a lot of options for them. I think that there's a significant gap there. The Phillies, you know, they they need a they need pitching. I think that they're going to go after another starter uh, at this point. You know, they they really loaded up on their uh, offense last offseason, adding guys like Gene Segura, Bryce Harper, JT Real Muto. I mean, you know, they made Andrew McCutcheon. They made a lot of significant moves to really boost their off, off offense. But the way things stand, their pitching has really just fallen off. Aaron Nola was not a Cy Young candidate uh, like he was the year prior. Uh, Jake Arrieta has continued his decline. That has been alarming uh, for them. Zach Eflin really didn't take this up forward. They were hoping Vince Velasquez has stayed being a high strikeout, high walk type guy uh, that they're you know wish that they could get you know better value of. Uh, and you know Drew Smiley and Jason Vargas were pitching for them at the end of the year, so they certainly have a lot of question marks at the back end of their rotation. Nick Pavetta and Jared Eckhoff, a couple of other guys who just really didn't take that leap that they were really hoping for uh, in their rotation this year. So I think that they go hard. I think they're they're going to be one of the suitors for Zach Wheeler uh, or Madison Bumgarner, those top two guys. I could see them going after a guy like Keuchel. I could see them adding two arms. Honestly, mm-hmm. I mean the Phillies have a lot of money. You know, despite the the contracts that they gave out last offseason, they're still pretty far away from meeting the luxury tax. So they could certainly afford to, you know, sign these contracts. Now they may want to be cautious about backloading them because a lot of these other contracts that they gave out last offseason are backloaded. Uh-huh. So they could be a lot closer to that line uh, within a year or two. But I think as far as the 2020 season, they need pitching. They need uh, significant starting pitching. I think they will go after another reliever, even though they made that a priority last offseason too. They brought in a guy like David Robertson, which was a big move. Um, but overall, I think that the Phillies. 
I think they're also a step back. I would honestly, I mean, putting them where they at now versus the Nats, I would say they're the number two team in the division. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just because the Nats have right, two of their yeah. best players not there. Um, but you know, I don't necessarily think I'll stay on that. You know, perch by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, at the end of the offseason just kind of depends on how things shake out so I think right now the Braves already had a very solid roster they didn't lose too many free agents I think they need another starting pitcher but you know uh, overall they've got a pretty set roster for the most part so they look like they're almost ready to you know go to spring training whereas the Nats the Mets and the Phillies all still have a lot of work to do where I feel like they have to make some significant moves before I really feel like I could say that one of them will win the division next year right yeah I completely agree with you on it it's just it's it's early to tell and we've got those teams like we said we, we talked about the White Sox and the Braves who both went out there and were aggressive and it's like how did they stack up well we, we don't know you know what the Twins are going to do to finish their offseason and what the Indians are going to do and then you got to take a look in the uh, the NL East as well too with how just you know such big decisions in DC um, you know who the Phillies are able to add it, it's just one of those things where we take a look at the two teams that were so aggressive to start you also have to start to wonder okay when we take a look at the end of free agency did they get the best value for the guys that they brought in so it'll be interesting interesting to see how the rest of the market shakes out uh, but um, but yeah you know it, it, I agree it's a little too early to firmly say where the rest of those two divisions are at all right, well, that baseball segment definitely ran over. And yeah. It's 100% my fault. <laughs> um, this is what happens when I'm on the, the ticker and then we get to baseball. I pay a little bit less attention yeah. to it because I really wanted to dive in on some of these things. So I apologize for that, but we saved the best for last. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and we're only at hour seven. So, no, yeah, this is, think, uh, we did a good job with this, keeping it concise. We've had episodes with three topics that have gone further than this. So I think we did a good job. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our show today. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Matt Wyrick. You can follow me on Twitter at where I'm at, at by Matt Wyrick. Oh, there's so many <laughs> ats and buys in that. Yeah. At by Matt Wyrick uh, is my handle on Twitter. Well, you'll see me writing really long threads about how the Nats can trade for Mookie Betts. <laughs> uh, you can also find my stuff over at NBCSportsWashington.com. Blake is at Blake Andrew Pace, where he writes about the Colts and Syracuse for SB Nation. He also has his daily podcast, Quick Hits. Blake, how's that going, by the way? I haven't had the chance to talk to you about that. It's been fun. I've been enjoying it now. It's kind of get, you know, if I get a little backloaded at work, you know, maybe I miss an episode a week. So it's been a little tight getting, you know, five episodes in a week, but I enjoy it. Just some quick NFL stuff, not, not taking too much time on it. I try and stay around 30 minutes, but, uh, but yeah, so far so good. Well, as the two-minute warning starts here uh, in Los Angeles, Ooh. where the Ravens are up 21-3, to Lamar Jackson looks great, Mark Ingram's already scored, I haven't had a chance to really watch it, but I am excited to sit down and watch the second half, where mm-hmm. I see Lamar solidify his case as, as MVP. the MVP favorite. It's happening. It's happening. Hey, well, at least we're on the same page there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Any final words for the good people, Blake? No, thanks for listening, guys. And, uh, and thanks for bearing with us with our schedules. We're trying to put some content out when we can. And so I appreciate you all still listening along. Yes, we appreciate you all. As always, for Blake Pace, I'm Matt Wyrick. Thank you all again for listening and have a good one.